Greetings, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to this narration of the web novel Humans Don't Make Good Familiars, Part 10, taken from Reddit with the author's approval. If you're new to the series, there is a playlist listed down below in the description. And as always, I hope that you enjoy. You... you did it, Suma whispered. I opened my eyes and saw my spear in my hand, a magic circle wrapped around its shop, just like every other time I had summoned it. Strangely, for a moment after opening my eyes... I could have sworn I'd seen a red thread connecting my hand to the spear. But after focusing my vision, nothing was there. That was a trip, I joked. Suma, still sounding amazed, interjected, Do you know what you just did, Jake? Summoned my spear, I said. No, well, yes, but that's not what I meant. You just shadow cast in your first attempt. No one has ever done that. At least, not as far as I know, Suma told me. Really, uh, it was pretty easy, though, I said, confused. Suma cocked her head and ruffled her feathers. Jake, I have a question. You said you humans can't do magic, but you know what shadow casting is and performed it on your first try. Not only that, but you figured out how to summon your spear in less than a minute. How? Suma asked and sounded extremely confused. Well, uh, I know what shadow casting is from watching anime, uh, which is a form of entertainment like a play. And as far as I know, humans can't do magic. Maybe since your world has it, the rules of my world don't apply. Or perhaps since you bonded us, I developed the ability. In truth, I have no clue, and we could spend all day guessing, I explained. I can't say that I've ever heard of a species without the ability to use magic, suddenly develop into prodigies. There has to be a logical explanation. Zuma's voice was thin, questioning, as she attempted to figure it out. I admit that I was confused as well. But without any solid evidence, guessing was all that we would be doing. Jake, I want to try something, she said. What? I asked. I want you to try and cast a spell, something that you've never been exposed to before, Simmer explained. Okay, but how will I know what to do if I've never seen it before, I wondered. I will show you it once, then I want you to try it, she said. Okay, I guess I'm ready, I said, not fully understanding why. No, let's go to the magical academy that I first summoned you to. There are a few things I need to get first, she told me. We started walking to the academy. Then on the way, I asked Suma why she wanted me to do the spell. I want to see if you can perform any magic. There are only spells that have been bonded to you like the summoning spell. Since you have never seen the spell, and it isn't a bonding type, it would be a good test. Bonding type? I take it that means there are more kinds, I asked. Quite a few. There is bonding, which you have seen, which includes summoning and dominations, and can either be rites, rituals, or basic spells. As she spoke, she butted along beside me, switching from hovering like a hummingbird to flying like a dove. Then there are creation types, where you take an element of nature and make something new, like taking dirt, water, and wood, then reshaping it to something usable like a house. Then there is transformation magic. This is causing something to change from one thing to another. Like water into ice or steam. Oh, okay, uh, so, so which one will I be doing? I asked. We're going to have you try to do a simple transformation spell. Water into steam. It is a kind of magic beginners learn, she said. And what are we getting from the school? I wondered. Is it something for the spell? No, simple magic like this doesn't require any additional ingredients. We are going to get a few things to see whether you are controlling magic around you or producing magic from yourself as well as other things that are better shown than explained, she said. We walked for a solid twenty minutes, and my feet began to ache. Once we arrived at the academy, 
I brought myself down on the floor and took off my shoes. Soon we off down the halls to retrieve our items. I removed my socks and checked my feet for blisters. I didn't see any, but my feet were still sore. Suma came back, carrying several small stones and a tablet in her feet. And a moment later, another nymph, a darker blue and slightly larger, flew up behind her and landed. Jake, this is my old professor. He said he would assist us. I... it can understand us, the old nymph asked curious. Yes, it can, I said jokingly. The nymph backed up slightly, then calmed down and stepped a bit closer to inspect me. You keep strange familiars, young one, but knowing you, I suppose I should have expected it. You always were an abnormal student, the nymph was said, amused. Jake, what happened to your feet? You removed the coverings again, Zuma said finally, noticing my removed shoes and socks. Sorry, we just have been walking for so much lately. My feet are sore. We really need to get horses or cars or something, I said, rubbing my foot. I don't know what a horse or a car is. But we can take the rest if you need to. After we do this test, I can send you home again. You've been here long enough today. Almost six hours today and seven yesterday, Super said. I hadn't been keeping track. All I knew was there had been a while. She had summoned me each day for training, but I never felt that I needed to complain as I was always put back when I left, although a bit more tired. On the bright side, these longer days have helped me get back on a normal sleep schedule. Thanks, um... Okay, let's do this, I told her. End of chapter. Max, okay, let's do this, I told her. I stood up and I leaned nestedly against the wall. I'd been carrying it this whole time. On the way to the academy, Suma mentioned that I could send it away as well as bring it back. But I hadn't tried that yet. As I wondered where it would go, Suma handed me a stone with spirals of blue and streaks of red. Then told me to repeat after her. It wasn't very heavy, no more than a pound. It was the size of a baseball, so it felt too light for its size. Suma placed a bowl on the floor and then used magic to fill it up with water. Then she took her place opposite to me, about three feet away on a small perch. She began to speak and I repeated after her. And no de say on pizza. And no de say on pizza, I said. Nothing happened and Suma looked disappointed. I glanced at the stone, expecting some kind of reaction, but none occurred. What's that supposed to do? I asked. Well, if you had produced the magic yourself, the blue would have turned green, and if you controlled the magic in the area, the red would have gone black. But neither happened, she said. She shook her head and waddled back and forth on her perch for a moment before sharply saying, Oh, of course, you said it in my language and not your own. Try it in your native tongue. Um, okay, I said. But what does it all that mean? It's a command of sorts. You need to channel the magical energy to accomplish your task, then describe what needs to happen. For turning water into steam, you would say boil the water, she exclaimed. Okay, I think I understand, I said, my voice barely hiding my confusion. Suma gave me the go-ahead, and I tried to imagine what she told me. Basically... I need to channel this magical energy star, then use it to accomplish a task. To do it, I need to describe the task. I wondered to myself if that was all. How did this magical energy know what to do? I figured it had to be of some kind of mental image that the energy used to some kind of building block. If that was the case, then magic could be kind of extension of one's thoughts. I had a theory, and I was ready to test it. I focused on the feeling of when I summoned destiny. 
There was a kind of gentle yet fierce power lurking nearby whenever I did, like a monster hidden just under the surface of a still lake. I needed to make the monster come out of hiding, so I focused on looking for that feeding. In my mind, I imagined standing on the surface of a pool, reaching a hand into it. I felt that same power begin to flow. Soon, it was as strong as when I summoned destiny. But I didn't stop there. I imagined reaching in further, all the way to my elbow, and that feeling became much more tangible. Jake! Suma shouted urgently. I opened my eyes and saw both nymphs looking concerned, and then I looked around the room and understood why. Blanks and stones that had been stacked on shelves were on the ground, like a windstorm had blown through in an instant and gone just as fast. I looked down at the stone. The blue had turned green, and the red was black. End of chapter. Humans don't make good familiars, chapter 12. Jake, Zuma shouted urgently. I opened my eyes and saw both nymphs looking concerned. Then I looked around the room and understood why. Blanks and stones that had been stacked on shelves were on the ground, like a windstorm had blown through in an instant and gone just as fast. I looked down at the stone. The blue had turned green and the red was black. What happened? I wondered as I looked around at the state of the room. When you started using magic, at first the stone turned green and we were satisfied. But quickly afterwards the red changed to black in an instant, which is highly unusual in and of itself. But before we could get your attention, the whole room was engulfed in a swirling mass of magical energy. We were blown around in the room and only after managing to regain control were we able to snap you out of it, Zuma explained. I looked around the room again, taking in all of the chaos. It wasn't too bad to me, but for a small creature like the nymphs, it was probably like a hurricane. No, I'm sorry, I said. I, I, I didn't mean to. And just then I noticed that the older nymph was shaking and nuzzling his left wing. It was broken. I rushed over to him. No, no, I'm sorry. I, I, I'm so, so sorry. I, I didn't mean to. I yelled, but I was cut off by Suma. Jake, don't worry about it. Our magic can heal him. Just let me handle it. Her voice wasn't angry, but calm and even. She wasn't trying to chastise me, but reassure me that nothing had been done that couldn't be fixed. She stood over the large nymph and the magic circle formed around the two of them. The light began emitting from the nymph's injured wing, like glitter moving in a wave across the surface. Then the wing slowly pulled itself back into a correct alignment. Soon the circle faded, and he moved it around to make sure that it was okay. Are you okay? I'm perfectly fine. Thank you, little one. The nymph said and pressed his wings back to his body. He turned to me. You are an oddity I have never come across before in my life. Such power, and in a summon no less. Tell me, are there more like you? More humans? Yes, but I'm the only human in history to use magic, as far as I know anyway, I told him. A shame, he replied. I would have liked to have a familiar like you myself, he said. Jake isn't just a familiar. He's a friend. He even named me, Sua interjected. A name, the nymph said aghast. Yes, I now known as Suma, she told him. A familiar naming its master. That's um, unheard of, he replied. I'm not his master. We're allies, partners, she told him. Besides, 
It's not like I could if I wanted to. His force of will and life force density are far beyond my abilities to control. That piqued my interest. Uh, life force densities? I asked. Do you remember when I tried taking your life force into myself and got injured? Suma said but was interrupted by the old enough. You were injured in an attempt to take some life force. I taught you better than that. Never try taking on a new familiar's life force all at once. With a start with 30% or less, he chided. I started with 10%, and it still knocked me on my tail feathers, Suma corrected him. He looked shocked, then confused. 10%? And you were still injured, he asked. How remarkable, he added after a brief silence. Jake has the densest life force that I have ever encountered, Suma said. It can't be that much, I denied. Jake, I can handle a life force of several Borak beasts at the same time. I couldn't even handle one-tenth of yours. There are high mages and court mages that train their whole lives to achieve what you were born with. And you are an untrained amateur who only just learned that he even had magic. Zuma explained. I was honestly bewildered. I had never considered the possibility that I had magic, let alone that I was good at it anyway. As those thoughts marinated inside my head, Zuma and the other nymph said their goodbyes, and she apologized for wrecking the room. I offered to help clean, but he said that the school used magic to clean itself, and that he could perform the spell alone. I was exhausted, and Suma saw it, so she sent me home. I closed my eyes in her world and opened them on my couch, where she had taken me from this morning. My feet still ached, and now I was too full of questions to sleep. At least, that's what I thought. But I was snoring within five minutes of my head hitting the pillow. End of chapter I awoke up in a confused haze. My alarm blaring, telling me exactly how late for work I was. Crap! I shouted as I flung myself out of bed, but most of my body was still asleep, so rather than a fluid motion, it was more like a stumbling drunk monkey trying to ballet dance, then falling down. Still half-wrapped in my blanket, I quickly stood up and ran to the bathroom to brush my teeth and take the fastest shower in human history. I grabbed a shirt, pants, and socks from my drawer and put on a deodorant. All in all, I was dressed and out of the door in 15 minutes, half an hour late for work. I called my boss, telling him that I was on my way. He was chill about it, as this was probably the first time I'd been late in a full year that I'd been working there. My job was data entry, just something to pay the bills until I was finished with my engineering degree next year. I arrived for work and clocked in quickly. Hey, Jake, my boss said, startling me from behind. Goodness, I yelped. Oh, hey, Mr. Vidal. Sorry for being late. I overslept. Yesterday was uh, pretty hectic, I explained. It's no problem. Everyone is late sometimes, he said calmly. Mr. Vidal was a great boss, forgiving, willing to compromise, and good at leading us rather than giving out orders. I've had some bad bosses before, but he wasn't one of them. What made yesterday so hectic? Did something happen after you left here? He asked. Not one, not even my family knew about Suma and the other world, and I definitely wasn't going to tell him. Yeah, a friend of mine called me and needed some help with stuff, so we spent hours working on that. I didn't even get to sleep until 10am this morning, I told him. Well, so you only got like four hours of sleep, ah, yeah. What was so important? He asked, surprised. I worked afternoon shifts from 3pm to 8pm. 
So normally, I just go to sleep after I get home and wake up for college at 10. Thankfully, I didn't have classes today. No, uh, he was having medical issues, so I took him to the hospital and brought him home this morning, I lied. Well, uh, I hope he gets to feeling better. And if you need to leave an hour or two early to catch up on some sleep or take care of your friend, that's fine. Nothing important is going on today, Mr. Vidal said as he went to his office. With that, I got to work on my computer. My job was simple. Take information from forms and transfer them to digital files on the computer. I charged on for a few hours until my stomach started to rumble at around six, but I kept instant noodles in my desk to tie me over until I could leave. Just as I put the soup in the microwave, I got a call, but not on my phone. Jake, are you there? Zuma's voice came into my head. I pulled out my phone and placed it to my ear to make it seem like I was talking on the phone. Hey, Zuma, uh, what's up? I said. Are you free to be summoned? I need a bit of help, she said. Um, not at the moment. If I leave now, I might be too tired to finish work when I get back. Can I wait for another? I looked down at my phone for the time. Two hours? Yes, um, I think you can wait. Just call me when you are free, and I will explain, she said. Okay, I'll see you in a bit, I said, and put my phone back in my pocket. A second later, the microwave beeped, and my soup was ready. I took it, and a fork back to my desk to eat. As I sat down, my co-worker, Melody, walked up to me. Jake, do you have a copy of the Graceley file on your computer? Mine got corrupted last week's power outage, and they requested a copy to be sent to them, she asked. Uh, sure, I think so. I said and sat my noodles down and searched my computer. Here we are, I said, and I emailed her a copy of the file. Okay, I sent it to your work email, I said. You're a lifesaver, Jake, she said and walked away. I went back to eating and checked my phone for messages. A text from my arm asking me to stop by after work to get a few things from storage from when I still lived there. They had mentioned it before, but I kept forgetting, mostly because everything that was been happening with Suma. While I ate, I messaged her telling her that I would be by after work to collect everything. I also thought about how much had changed for me over the last few weeks. How much I had seen. It was like going into space or being the first man on Mars, but no one knew. I took my boss up on his offer and clocked out 45 minutes early. I drove to my mom's and gave her a big hug as soon as I saw her. She had just seen me last week, but it had been twice as long from my perspective. My mother was a wonderful woman, and my dad had passed away last year, so she was always trying to keep busy, which was the reason I had to clean out the storage shed, so that she could use the space for her latest project or hobby. How have you been? She asked as we handed me a box to put in my car. I've been really good. I had a new friend, Suma, I told her. Oh, and when will I get to meet the Suma? She asked. My mom had been on me for years to get a girlfriend. It's not like that, mom. She's just a friend. Anyway, she lives far away, in another country, I said. Another country? How did you meet her then? She asked. Oh, uh, we met years ago, back when I was still in high school, I told her. But I thought you said she was a new friend. My mom wondered, yeah. I mean, I knew her, but I didn't know her. We just reconnected when we bumped into each other. She works in uh, America as a history professor, I lied. What was she doing in England? Visiting family? Mom asked. Yeah, her parents still live here, so she comes to see them for holidays and birthdays and stuff like that. I said, and we talked some more, and I lied some more. But a few minutes later, my car was packed and I was on my way home. 
Just as I got home and laid the last of the boxes on my living room floor, Suma shouted in my head, Jake, I don't know what you're doing, but get ready to look scary as possible. Ah, loud, I said as I began to disappear. I had no time to think. The next thing I knew, I was standing in the middle of an alleyway, and Suma was standing or hiding behind me. To make matters worse, we were cornered by three large dark-colored nymphs and their very angry-looking beast familiars. End of chapter. Part 14. Suma's Day. See you later, Jake said in a rough human voice as he faded away. Jake and I just got done doing performing a few tests to see if he could use magic like I can. After he left, I flew to town to take care of a few tasks they needed tending. It only took me a few minutes to fly down to town without Jake. He may be incredibly large and strong, but he is obscenely slow. Normally, it takes over 20 minutes to go from our training area down to town with him. My first stop is City Hall. I needed to pile paperwork on Jake's spear. All equipment used by a familiar needs to be registered. It only takes a few minutes. I have a new name that Jake gifted me with to thank for that. Afterwards, I flew to the Royal Citadel. I was now a named citizen, and as such, I had to present myself before the Grand Duke for its pension. It is an event that is done once every six months, so if I didn't do it now, it would be another quarter of a year before I could do it again. It was a special occasion, and many lords and nobles came to watch and see how many of their citizens get named. It is an investment, in a way. The more citizens with names that a lord or nobles has living in their territories, the more funding they get for future projects or goals. I live in Count Thakoma, this butler's domain, so he will be the one who inspects me and gets the funding. When I arrived, there was a large crowd of nobles talking amongst themselves. I knew they were nobility from their highly ornate feathers and high-quality beast familiars. Their feathers had been dyed a dazzling array of bright colors, and the familiars that they were perched on were ones whose races were known to have dense life forces and unique traits. Not only that, but the saddles on the familiars, the ones that their masters were perched on, were excessively extravagant. As a citizen who was presenting, I was to go into a smaller room and prepare myself. After asking for directions and finding the room, I found myself only amongst four others. A child who still had his tuft in some places, an elder with feathers beginning to turn white, and two others about my age. A male and a female standing off together away from the rest of us. We didn't wait long. Soon, someone was sent to lead us out and explained how everything would go. She flew into the room and landed on a perch in the center of us all. Attention, attention everyone, we will shortly be making our way to the Grand Duke's meeting hall. Once you do, you'll fly in and land on the single file on the same perch that I do. It'll be a long, narrow bar, so be careful when landing. Afterwards, the Great Duke will enter the room. You are all expected to bow for a moment, then await your turn to present yourselves. Once you've finished, you'll be led out of the chamber by either myself or another chamber representative. After that, you may either leave and return home... I'll go through the side entrance and watch as the rest of the presentations with everyone else. Does everyone understand? She concluded. One by one, we each answered that we understood. Well then, everyone, line up and let's begin. We all lined up and one by one flew in a single file line as instructed into the meeting hall. She wasn't kidding about a narrow bar. I was only barely able to land smoothly. The young child stumbled a bit but caught himself without falling. 
Once we had all landed, the Grand Duke flew in and perched atop a high pedestal. We each bowed for a moment as instructed, and the Grand Duke ordered us to rise for the first of us to step forward. Each of the places we landed had numbers, so the one closest to the Duke would go first. There were five of us, and I was last. First up was one of the others my age, the male. He flew to the perch in the center of the room and began his introduction. My name is Kwanka, and I reside in Lord Gamut's territory. Tell me, Granka, who gave you your name? Grand Duke asked. My name was given to me by my master, Kalsundi, before his death. I was his apprentice and have taken over his duties and business, Kwanka explained. And what is it that you do? The Grand Duke questioned. I'm a craftsman. I deal with the construction and creation magics. Some of my duties include repairing buildings, maintaining structures, and fabricating tools used for other trades, Kwanka said. Important work, Kwanka. You have been seen, and your name is recognized by the court. A record of your name shall be made and stored in the city's library. You may take your leave, the Grand Duke said. Kwanka thanked him, and was escorted out. Next up was the woman that he was with in the waiting room. She flew over and landed gracefully on the center perch. My name is Selikar, and I reside in Lord Gamut's territory, she said. Tell me, Selikar, who gave you your name? The Grand Duke asked. I was named by my husband's master, Sosandi, before his death, Selikar said. Ah, not an uncommon occurrence. Tell me, Selikar, what is it that you do? The Duke asked. I am a magical scholar. My focus is on rune magic. My duties include creating runes for different purposes and installing them when and where needed, she explained. I see. Thank you, Selakar. You have been seen and your name recognized by the court. A record of your name shall be made and stored in the city's library. You may take your leave. She also thanked the duke and was escorted out. Next in line was the eldest of us. My name is Nook. And I reside in Baron Jiber's domain, the elder said in a breathy, straight voice. Tell me, Nook, who was it that gave you your name? The Duke asked. I was given my name by Baron Jiber as recognition of esteemed military service, Nook said. Hmm, the Duke thought. It is highly unusual for a noble to name a member of their own territory, but special exceptions aren't unheard of. Do you still work for the military? No, sir. I was given my name once I retired two and a half months ago, Nook explained. Well then, once we have confirmed your military record, your name will be added to the city's library. You will be sent a notice once we have confirmed everything. You may take your leave, the duke said. The elder, Nook, slowly made his way out, and the youngest one took his place on the perch. My name is Abamze Verville. Then I reside in Viscount Lee Verville's domain, the young man squeaked. What is your relation to the Viscount? the Duke asked. I am his youngest child, Ambamza said. I see. And was it your parents who gave you your name? the Duke wondered. Yes, sir, Ambamza replied. Do you have a duty or jobs, Ambamza? the Duke asked. No, sir. I'm still too young to legally take a job, Ambamza explained. Well then, as the son of a Viscount, you have been seen and your name recognized. A record shall be created and stored in the city's library. Once you have turned of age, all rights and liberties of a name shall be afforded to you. You may take your leave. And Memza shyly thanked the duke and was escorted out. Finally, it was my turn. I flew to the perch and presented myself. 
I am Suma, and I reside in Count Thericoma Isbala's domain. I said nervously. I felt as every eye in the room was gazing into my soul, as if to prod the core of my very being. Tell me, Suma, who was it who gave you your name? The Duke asked. My name was given to me by a human called Jake, known to the court as Sentinel, I told him. A human? What is that? The Duke asked, sounding confused. Is a very powerful being from another world, called Earth, I said. And what of this name discrepancy? You said that he was called Jake, but was known as Sentinel. Why is this? The Duke wondered. On his world, he was named Jake, but he has become my familiar, and so I chose a summoning name for him. Sentinel, I told him. The room was filled with murmurs and grumbling, some sounding angry, others shocked. Order in the court, the Grand Duke announced loudly. The hall fell silent once more. Suma, this is a highly unusual circumstance. Your claim that your familiar named you, while it is not illegal, it is abnormal. Tell me, what is it that you do? I am in waiting to be summoned to the battlefield. I volunteered for the King's Armed Forces four months ago, I told him. You are quite brave indeed, young Suma. I wish you a good fortune in your tour of duty, and hope that you return home unharmed. Once we have checked that you have indeed taken a familiar named Sentinel, a record of your name will be made and starred in the city's library. You may take your leave, the Duke said. Thank you, sir, I said and bowed before following my escort out to the chambers. With my exit, the Grand Duke dismissed the event and sent orders to the city's library to create all the confirmed names. I flew home that day, elated. I was now officially going to be recognized as having a name. I only wish that I could have foreseen what would happen later that very day. End of chapter. Part 15. Summer's Day, Part 2. I flew home and prepared to go to sleep. My home was in a large complex made utilizing the area's natural trees and mountainsides. Many others lived here. Some preferred higher levels, others opted for the ground. Homes were carved into the mountain or cultivated by using spells to weave the branches of the trees tight enough to stop rain from leaking through. Each home was decorated with vibrant colors or charms that some believed to ward off evil. My house was made from pre-existing cavern near a midpoint of the mountain. Using magic, I expanded the opening and flew inside then turned on the lights by throwing some of my magic into a system of luminous braids woven throughout its walls. They'll stay on until they run out of magic, but that will be a few hours. I closed the entrance behind me and settled into my roost at the back of the cavern to go to sleep. I don't know how long I slept, but I was awoken by sounds of pecking at the entrance of my home. Stretching out my wings, I stood up and called out loudly that I was on my way. I opened the entrance and saw Niyama, a member of my race, but Jake often referred to us as nymphs, standing tall. His feathers were decorated with gold lace and small, beautiful stones. Behind him stood a Zantorax hound, a familiar, typically used by lower-ranked nobility. Can I help you? I puzzled. Are you Suma, a mage who presented herself to Grand Duke earlier? He asked. Yes, I am, I said. Why? I am Baron at Hellyard Langress, and I bring a message from Grand Duke Langress. In regards to your name, the Grand Duke has a few more questions and would like for you to come and answer them, if you could. It should be noted that this is a personal request and will not affect the ruling was decided yesterday. The Grand Duke is simply curious. He spoke with a sort of regality in his words, as if he'd been trained his whole life to speak and act that way. 
and since he was a noble, that was probably exactly the case. I also couldn't help but wonder about his name, as he related to Grand Duke in some way. Okay, when would you like me to go see him? I asked. If you are free now, that would be best, but if not, we can simply figure it out what works best, he said. I thought for a moment about if I had anything to do that day. I didn't. Yes, I am free to go now, I told him. Excellent. Please follow me and I will escort you, he said as we began our flight. I had assumed that we would be going back to the meeting hall where I had first met the Grand Duke, but we were flying in the wrong direction for that. In fact, we flew to City Hall. Excuse me, Sir Langris, sir, but why are we at City Hall instead of the Royal Citadel? I asked as we flew and then found a perch to rest on. The Grand Duke has several meetings today regarding city matters, but has made time to ask you a few questions, he explained. I shook my head, then I understood. We made our way to a desk, and he spoke to a woman behind it. Please tell the Grand Duke that I have arrived and I have brought Miss Suma. The woman flew away and around the corner out of sight. The baronet and I waited in silence until the woman flew back in and offered to show us the way. But he told her that that wouldn't be necessary, as he knew the way. With magic, the baronet parted a wall of dense vines, and we flew into a clearing in which the Grand Duke was waiting. He was dressed far more plainly than the baronet was, only a few strands of gold and no jewels. Ah, Masuma, thank you for coming in to satiate an old man's curiosity. Please, rest here, he said, and used magic to form perches out of vines that had been laying on the floor for the baronet and I to rest on. I landed on the vines and noted how soft and easy they were to grub. You're welcome, sir. I was told you you had questions for me. I said as politely as I could. Yes, I wanted to know more about this Jake, the familiar who gave you your name, he said. If it helps, I could try and summon him if you want, I offered. That would be excellent, he said. First, I need to see if he is available. He told me that he works some kind of job when he's not with me, and it requires a good deal of energy and focus, so he might not be able to come. I explained. A familiar that doesn't always come when their master calls. How uh, abnormal, he said, sounding quite shocked. That is an apt description of our partnership, I said as I contacted Jake. Jake, are you there? Hey, Suma, what's up? Jake answered. Are you free to be summoned? I need a bit of help, I said. Uh, no, not at the moment. If I leave now, I might be too tired to finish work when I get back. Can I wait another... Uh, there was a slight pause... Two hours? Yes, I think I can wait. Just call me when you're free and I'll explain, I said, feeling a bit disappointed. Okay, see you in a bit, he said, and I ended the connection. I apologize, Grand Duke. He is not available to come yet, but if you would like, he said that he would be free in approximately two hours, I said. He seemed disappointed. His feathers fell down slightly closer to his body. I understand, uh... Perhaps I can meet him another time, but I would still be interested in hearing your thoughts on him for now, the Grand Duke said. Of course, I said. Well, starters, how did you meet him? he asked. I accidentally summoned him many years ago in training session gone wrong. This is when I was in school and hadn't yet mastered any rites or rituals. We were preparing to all summon familiars for the first time, and he was the one that I summoned, I told him. You said that he was being of great power, did you not? So, if you don't mind me asking, how could you have accidentally summoned him? Why did he simply not use magic to stop you? He asked. Jake explained, on his world, magic does not exist. Instead, they used advanced sciences and technology to accomplish their goals. And besides that, he was only an adolescent when I first summoned him. 
According to him, he wasn't even of marrying age at the time, I said. So, uh, you dominated his mind and discovered these things in his memories. The, then he named you, the Grand Duke asked. No, sir. Though he was young, he was far too strong for me to perform the rite of dominance unsuccessfully. After I attempted to do so, he lashed out and destroyed one of the floors of the classroom by catching a seeking stone out of midair, and then he threw it back, completely destroying the floor, I said. I thought you said that he had no magic, Pete wondered. He didn't. He did, however, possess immense speed and reflexes, as well as unfathomable physical strength, I said. After seeing the destruction, I reversed the summoning and sent him home. I didn't see him again for several years, and by then we had both reached adulthood. And how did you see him again? Now the Grand Duke was leaning closer, interested by my story. On my final days at the Mage Academy that I was attending, a new student was practicing his summoning spell and accidentally summoned a Borag. He attempted to dominate the creature, but apparently he performed the spell incorrectly and the beast went into a vicious rage. Many students fled. The teachers tried to fight it off, but uh, well, none of them were trained attack mages. I am a mage of healing. That was my focus on the academy, so I hid and tried to wait the beast out. Slowly it encroached on my position, so I made a daring escape. I then used what little time I had to summon Jake. I knew he was strong and figured that if he defeated the beast, then all I would have to do would be to reverse the summoning, and that would be that. If he failed, then he would at least buy me time to escape fully, I said. A wise strategy for one so young, and I take it your plan succeeded, he asked. Yes, in a single attack, Jake killed the beast. I immediately reversed the summoning to send him home, I said. The Grand Duke went on and asked many more questions about Jake. He asked what he was like, what happened after I sent him away, and how he agreed to become my familiar. He kept asking question after question, until the baronet, whom he'd been sitting so quietly that I'd almost forgotten that he was listening, interrupted. Grand Duke, it is almost time for your next meeting with Lord de Lesquis. Ah, yes. Ah, uh, uh, you're right, he turned to me. Thank you, Miss Silver. I hope that we can set up an appointment for me to meet your familiar Jake at a later time. I'm sure that he would be interested. I assured him. With that, I was escorted out of the room, and the baronet and Grand Duke went to go to their meeting. I passed a woman behind the desk and asked her how long I'd been talking with the Grand Duke for. About an hour and a half, she said. And I thanked her and started to fly away. And just... As I did, I noticed a small group of well-decorated Niamh watch me leave, and they seemed quite angry. End of chapter. Just a quick shout-out to the T5 peeps. Bob the Dragon, Cat Crab Lobster, Data Magnet, Dark Machine, Bezik, Try Again 95, Feudic Yol, Astraea the Dreamer, Caspar Arnholtz, Cam Maxwell, Athelia, Meridian 117, and Jordan Buxmorm. Thank you very much. And that, my friends, concludes this video. I hope that you enjoyed. There are links down below, both to support this channel and for the author of this fiction. Anyways, I hope you all have a fantastic one, and I'll see you next time. Cheers.